In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. of interesting topics for you to think about, maybe laugh at, and hopefully participate in. Benjamin C. George, how are you doing, my friend? Ah, another day in paradise, brother. How about yourself? You know what? I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's, uh, it's the middle of the week, and I'm always looking forward to these conversations. So, you know, I, I have found myself revisiting some of the, uh, some of what were a series of talks called the Trilogues, and it was with Ralph Abram, Terrence McKenna, and Rupert Sheldrake. And there's just so much interesting ideas put forth in this trilogue. And I was revisiting some of the ideas of Rupert Sheldrake and Sheldrake, Sheldrake, Sheldrake and yeah. and uh, he had gotten to this idea about evolutionary creativity, and you know how can the habits of nature evolve. And it just got me thinking like, is nature, does nature have habits? You know, and you start, I had to think about that for a while. And I began thinking about, you know, if, if we look at the way the cyclical nature of creation, the cyclical nature of evolution, and we look at our own life and the series of patterns that we repeat in our own life. And I think, I think we could say that, yeah, if we are a product of of this earth, if we don't come into this world, we come out of it, and we have habits, then the the nature has habits. What do you think about that? I, you know, I think this is the you know kind of where you start to blend into to terms, right? Because right. for us, we call it habits. For nature, mm-hmm. we call it cycles or epochs or you know other associated names. But in essence, uh, you know. It is a habit if you were to look at it at, at a larger scale and if you were to zoom out and take the lifespan of it and stretch it out to, you know, billions of years, you could call it habitual. But, you know, and then what is a habit? 
you know, for us, it's something that arrives because of our environments, our, you know, you know, our nurture, uh, you know, what we're, what we're surrounded by, you know, you're, there's the old saying your reflection of the uh, five people you spend the most time with right yeah um and in that forms a lot into our habits so you know that immediate environment that that external environment combining with our internal environment is where we kind of form our habits and you can look at the system of, of nature in a similar fashion um you know, and it's interesting because you can you can extrapolate that to you know as as above so below and look at us and then internalize all the machinations and systems inside of us that are that are doing all these things that without those cyclical like our circadian cycles and our tridian cycles and things like this that influence our cells and our timing and all of that you know those are habits in and of themselves but they allow us to maintain and grow our own habits at a at a macro level. So I think there's there's definitely you know there's something to be extracted from them. I think whenever we can find the comparison uh, between nature and ourselves, uh, I think there's a lot of value to extract from that and you know take you know uh, take a take a note or two from. Yeah, I would I would have to agree. That's well put, and it brings me to the to another point of the existence of a kind of memory inherent in each organism. I, I you probably maybe you've heard of this study. It's it's called like the and I'm probably going to butcher it, but maybe you can pull me back from the edge if I begin butchering it too much. Um it's like the 100th mon monkey syndrome. And the the idea or the thought program was something like there was these islands and on this on this one island each island had similar monkeys. And on one island one monkey began figuring out how to take a shell and crack it against a rock. And the, there was a group of scientists that went to one island and no monkeys on this one island were doing this particular set of behaviors. They went to this other island and they noticed that this other monkey began doing it. A week later, they went back to the other island. And on that island, every monkey was doing it. So you can make the argument they just didn't see it. But the, the thought experiment says that once one individual in a species learns something – there's some sort of shared memory or morphogenic field that allows other people to tap into that particular behavior. Have you heard of that? And what oh, yeah. do you think about that? Well, you know, we see it in humans too. Uh, the, the first person to break the four minute mile, it couldn't be done. But then after that, a hundred people did it like it was nothing. Uh, and, you know, I think we observe this in art, and, uh, you know, culture just in general, you know, and then if you look at historically, uh, like science inventions, we were talking about black powder on Sunday, you know, that was invented independently around the same time, thousands of miles away. Now, we might not have the full picture of the actual communication systems at that time, and we might be missing a bit of that picture, but we do have modern evidence like the four minute mile. And, you know, also, especially when people start talking about something and, and then all of a sudden you just see it kind of hit the zeitgeist. Yeah. With, in, you know, yeah, we call it going viral, but how much of it is, you know, assisted by our technology and how much of it is, is that there's so much concentrated thought on a single idea that it's now kind of perpetuating itself, not by means that we're necessarily used to in, in how we measure the perpetuation of ideas, but yeah, you know, access, it, it's been called the, the Akashic field, right? Right. Morphogenic field. There's been names through it uh, from antiquity. Uh, so, 
you know, and then in my theory of information, I, I would call that information and tapping into those types of ideas is a very and probable thing as we're just kind of a giant transient um, in, in one perspective. Yeah. And this gets us to our title, the, the archaic techniques of ecstasy. It seems to me, whether you're on a salvia trip or whether you are on a high dose psilocybin trip or LSD or, you know, pick your, your agent of change. For me, it's mostly been the psychedelics and it, the best ones usually come after I have somewhat purified my body, whether it's fasting or, you know, maintaining a certain type of diet or, you know, Kevin Holt says that he, he, he likes to begin his by going to a sweat lodge or some sort of purification. And once you have ingested it, purified, then you seem to reach this plane. It's almost an out of body plane, which may be that morphogenic field, which may be the tapping into the Akashic records, but it's, it's a higher form of yourself or a higher sense of knowing. And it, it does seem at times at those states, like you're really beginning to receive a different flow of information, a different wavelength or, you know, tapping into something else. And that's from everything I've read about some of the mystics of antiquity. It seems that that's what they were reaching into when they came back with these great ideas. And then they were able to spread it out and, and begin implementing this idea. What do you think that that is, happening today on a even greater level if we talk about the four minute mile and people beginning to do it once they saw it do it it seems like so many people are into psychedelics now do you think that that is perhaps a a quickening of this this new field or a quickening of information being distributed hmm, a quickening are we getting into the highlander stuff here <laughs> it can be only one <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you know it, it is interesting. There is an uptick, right? Um, now, how much of that is simply because there's more of us communicating? Right. Uh, that'd be hard to measure. But at the same time, there does seem to be a, you know, and we've talked about it in other ways. There's kind of like a spiritual re reawakening for a lot of people. Yeah. And it's not necessarily in, in any context of religion, but more so in, in you know, people searching out their own paths. Um, and in realizing that the structures that you know exist today just don't fill that hole that void inside of all of us and it leaves something to be wanting and i think you know when something's to be wanted we have this natural inclination to explore and i think you know that awakening of, of you know that was the, the enlightenment journey right this is you know this is the hero's journey this this has been a story retold for as long as we've been retelling stories uh, and I think we're definitely in an interesting chapter of that story. And I, I, I definitely would say, you know, not to rip off Highlander, but there is a quickening of things. There is a, a, a rapidity to the uptick in people's thirst for knowledge and desire for answers. Yeah. I, I often wonder if the next, you know, if this, if the next hundred years in the, a lot of people think that the, that the next frontier is going to be space. And I would agree, but the only question is, is that outer space or is it inner space? I think that we're able to see a lot of exploration the same way we saw Vasco da Gama and, you know, 
pick your pick your uh, your explorer that exploited but crossed over the seas. You know, there was when we look at the history that I was taught. You know, you look at and I realized to everybody listening, I, I realized the ideas about Columbus and maybe he's not a. I, I get all of it. I get all of the political correctness. However, I'm just saying, as far as people who cross the sea to discover new lands, even though they're not new. You know, the people crossed over these and did all this exploration. It seems like that same spirit of exploration has taken hold in the individual. And there's never been a better chance to find El Dorado than to look within. What do you, what do you think about this exploration of the inner? Well, I think uh, in order for us to truly understand our environment, first you have to understand yourself. Mm. Uh, and I think there is a you know, a I wouldn't say a large contingent, but a, a small group of people who have realized this and have taken it upon themselves to figure out who they are, what, you know, and what they want to do in this world. And I, I, I would say that back then it was, you know, there was probably similar things, but there was much more restricting factors, right? Um, you know, we have a little bit more freedom when it comes to the ability to travel distances. Um, you know, we have a lot more freedom when it comes to the ability to communicate. And I think those lend themselves to, you know, fostering these these movements. And I think we are in the midst that, you know, we're seeing a, a new movement, a new evolution of of ideas. And I think that's very much reflective of, you know, the, the past 50 some years of people really kind of exploring these internal paths. Because you have to figure before the hippie thing blew up in the 60s, right? Um, you, you you would be hard hard pressed to find any sort of psychedelic experience I and mean, you would have to travel very far and wide and, and communicate with the right people in order to find a shaman or somebody who was trained and knowledgeable in these things and then you know we we took the power of the masses and said hey let's just everybody start partying and you know let's see where the the needle goes here and so you know it went from that and there was legitimate research right you know there was a lot of uh, people who wanted to use it for, you know, prison reform and, you know, uh, psychological stuff and things like that. Uh, you know, the story of how and why those things are illegal is an interesting bit of history. Uh, and, you know, again, it usually falls back down to the money, sadly. Uh, so we don't need to repeat that story too much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But there, but there is, it, there is definitely, um, a movement to figure out what this is, what, what a human being is, more specifically who you are. Yeah. It's after hearing you say that, it, it, I just, it makes me continue to go down this idea of inner space travel. And the same way for, for most people who have traveled out of their, out of their hometown into a foreign country, one th common thread that people find is they learn so much about themselves and where they're from, maybe more so than where they're going to, because you're faced with yourself as the stranger. You're faced with yourself being a strange man in a strange or a strange woman in a strange place. And it's so fascinating to me to think that I can have that same revelation with a huge dose of psilocybin. The more that I, I take time to you know, have these giant trips and start thinking about myself, I feel like I emerge 
into a different world or at least a different idea of the world I'm in. And I, I feel like I see people different. I feel like I see myself different. If I'm, if I'm doing the real work and I'm integrating the trip, if I'm integrating what happened to me and taking time to write in my journal and taking time to think about the issues prior and at, before and after, and then coming to a conclusion of like, yeah, I was right on there. Or, you know what? I need to rethink that. But it, it's so fascinating that, you know, that you can have these same experiences traveling, whether you're just traveling inward or, or traveling outward. And I, I, I wish, I kind of feel like that's what is going on right now with, with the demographics in our society. It seems like there are so many people on the cusp of the mortality experience that they could all benefit from a bit of an inner trip. It's kind of a tangent there, but what do you think? I, I think, um, yes, on the, you know, just the big picture perspective. I, again, I think, you know, the devil's in the details, right? Yeah. And, and once we get down to the brass tacks, you know, some of those people, in fact, I'd say probably a lot of people these days aren't ready to look in the black people. Mm. they're not ready to walk across the abyss um because they're attached to everything that you know they're attached to in this world uh and those attachments are very very powerful in keeping people you know um definitely not happy but placated enough to the point where they don't seek exploration where they don't question right um and that, and that's not necessarily just like a singular thing. It could be just the total environment that they were thrust into. They might not even have an opportunity to try to develop anything that would allow them to make a choice to go down a different path. Uh, so I think when we look at it from the nuance perspective, I think they could probably all benefit, but how would you reach all those people the appropriate way? Because I, you know, if all of a sudden you just drove down the street and started throwing bags of mushrooms at people and saying, eat those right now. And then you monitored everything. I don't, I don't think you would get the result that you were kind of looking for. I think you'd get a bit more chaos. <laughs> yeah. I, I, sometimes I, I go down the idea and I think a lot of people have had this idea, old hippies or scientists or just crazy people have this idea that, man, if you could just get enough people to be on psychedelics you could change the world but the more that i do psychedelics the more i realize it's not for everybody and i'm not saying that the handful of us here are like chosen people or anything like that but well I, there's I a level please an important part of that is it could be for everybody but it's not for everybody we're what all i mean it could be for everybody well, I think, you know, just like we were talking about, those underlying circumstances, those nuances of culture, society, location in the world, um, you know, those are very prohibitive uh, in, in many instances. Uh, however, if somebody were to extricate themselves from that, which many people do, right? you meet tons of people that are just like, yeah, I was done, I packed up everything and I left. And, you know, we both did that ourselves. Uh, so, it, it, you know, people do just kind of, they're like, okay, I'm going to go. And I think when you're willing to make that choice is when you're ready to start to proceed down that path. Yeah, that's a great point. It's, I guess it's when you're, when you're ready to begin the journey, the initiation begins or, or somewhere along that lines. And mm -hmm. yeah, who is it for? 
who is it for anyone to say when it's someone else's time to start? I mean, I guess that's everybody's, but you're born with that. Hey, I don't want to start yet, or I'm not ready to start or Or whatever reason. Or you just don't even know you have the choice to. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that would be a good goal is to show people they have a choice. That might be one of the greatest things anybody could ever do is to show you, you have a choice of something. That's why I wrote my book. Really. Yeah. To, to give the, give the, the proper perspective to, for somebody to make the self-realization that they have the ability to of a free choice in this world. That's not to say that choices are not without consequences. Right. But at the same time, understanding that you actually have a choice I don't, there are many people who, you know, in not just in the psychedelic aspect or the, you know, relationship aspect or where they are in the world, but in all of these aspects, some people just don't even realize they have the choice to change something um, because they've been told that this is the way it is. This, and they're, you know, this is, it's an absolute, you can't change this. This is the way it's going to be. And when people have that perspective, well, what's the point of, of questioning it if everybody around you has repeated the same thing and nobody's given you any idea that you can actually move beyond those those non-absolutes that people uh, proclaim as absolute? Yeah, that one, that one in this diagram, you know, I think you, I never thought about it until you just said this right now, but I think you do a good job of showing that not making a choice is still making a choice. Right. You know, and, and when you get into, by the way, for everybody listening to the book's called no absolutes. And you can see some of the infographics right here. You know, it's, it's so, like I said, I think one of the greatest gifts you could give people is, is letting them know that they, they have a choice and that maybe they're not conscious of it, but every day they're making a choice not to make a choice or they're making a choice to not know, or they're making a choice to not walk a little bit closer to that, which drives them to passion, you know? And so doing that is, is liberating. It's freeing. And I, I, I hope that we're on the cusp of, of making that something for people to see, but I wanted to bring up this infographic again right here. So the infinite potential, every conceivable possibilities. So that is what surrounds us. Is that fair to say all the balls and the spheres on top? That is exactly what is around us at all times. Exactly. Yep. An infinite of of potentiality. Every single conceivable possibility that might exist. And as we make the choice, even if it's, you know, even if we're not thinking we're making a choice, but by taking a left or a right, you make a choice. And by taking the, those motions, those are impacting the, the future generations of choices. And they're making them more and more probable. And that's that environment experience, perspective, thoughts, and actions. And then you get to, uh, 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 as the funnel decreases, you get to a point of the most potential possibilities, the most likely possibilities that, you, that you're gonna face and encounter. And then as you're making your choices and everything around us is in motion and in moving and making choices, that can, that confluence of choice reflects back to us as, as our perceived reality. Mm. It, it's like I said, for those who are watching, you should check out the book because there's so many cool graphics like this. I'm, I'm almost thinking now, cause I've read it a couple of times and now I'm almost thinking like, I wonder if we could, 
put a number on like is there some sort of mathematical equation we could put like mm -hmm. environment times experience you know like do, do you think that one of <laughs> do you think that one of those factors or one of those particular um environment experience perspective thought do you think that one of those weighs more than the other or are they all connected well, they're all gonna—they're all gonna be connected, and, and the weight of them is gonna be uh, it, not a—it's gonna be a fluid thing. Yeah. Um, because all of a sudden, if you're on the edge of a cliff and there's a couple slippery rocks, you know, your environment is very, very much a part of the, the equation of the, of the outcome. If you're just walking down the street, you know, your your thoughts and actions are gonna be much more weighted in the outcome of what you're what you're gonna experience in reality. Um, you know, so I think it's definitely going to be due to, you know, the moment in time, it's going to be a much more fluid thing. However, putting math on it. So I'm writing an addendum to my initial paper, which is the math part of it. And I've been trying to write it for years because I didn't, I'm not a mathematician. I, I'm, you know, I can do the math, uh, and I'm getting better at doing, you know, harder math, uh, but putting the right math on it has, has been a, you know, just a process for me. So I'm working on that part of the paper now. Um, you know, just a, a rough number, a couple rough numbers from the paper, you know, the, the information moves at about 20,000 times the speed of light by my initial calculations. This kind of explains the thing when we have like quantum entanglement, right? So if you have quantum entanglement, you can have two different, uh, and you could have the same particle, uh, you could have a photon and a photon, or you can even have a photon and an electron. And these can be entangled over vast distances so that when you do something to one of them, it seems to us instantaneously from a measurable perspective that the exact same thing happens to the other, despite that, despite that distance. Uh, and so when I get into the information, theory type stuff this is more you know that's the calculation of how fast that information is actually traveling uh so i've started to wrap some numbers around these things uh and i think there's value in doing that and that's why i've spent a lot of time trying to do it uh but if anybody's a mathematician and wants to kick around some fun stuff let me know <laughs> yeah that kind of gets us back to what we were talking about earlier about the the hundredth monkey syndrome or mm -hmm. you know the the exactly. All of a sudden, because it's happened here, now it can happen here. Because it's because it has gone through the formality of actually happening, thus it can happen again over here, mm -hmm. where you know you move away from this theoretical idea to something that's actually happened. It's right. It's I think this is good at waking people up or you know, allowing people to maybe not so much waking up as it is getting people to see the situation they're in from a different perspective. It's all about perspective. Yeah, right. Yeah. Because, Appearance and sorry, go ahead. Oh well, you you'd mentioned we talked about it a little bit earlier, but you know the ability to walk in somebody else's shoes. Yes. Um, you know that's and that's not even doesn't have to be a physical somebody else. It can just be you from a detached perspective. Yeah. That's the ability to walk in somebody else's shoes because now you're seeing somebody walk in your shoes and you're observing it as you would observe you know, somebody walking down the street and get, allowing your mind to be able to create those perspectives and, and then, you know, taking the time to really sit with those and analyze them and reflect upon them. That opens us up to 
just new possibilities and new choices, uh, new ways to deal with, you know, emotional trauma, new ways to deal with, uh, you know, relationships. Uh, and because now you're not just thinking, I, 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 you know, you have the perspective of, yeah, it's, it's us and me. And, you know, I all of a sudden kind of goes away. And I think that's a lot of the power back to the psychedelics that we've been talking about is when you get the ability to look in the black mirror and walk across the abyss, you lose a lot of that eye, right? That's what people typically refer to as ego death. Um, and, and you see and you see a different perspective. And that perspective is, is the interconnectivity of all things. And that's a powerful perspective. Because now you're just not you're just not there, you know, a lone butterfly in the wind. Now you realize you're by flapping your wings, you very well may create the tornado in you know a thousand miles away. Yeah, it's it's such a great way to begin changing the way you see the world. You know, it's as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at my bookcase. When you go outside, you're at the mall, you see all these people. But what those two things have in common is that the answer to the problem you're having surrounds you. If you find yourself in a situation that seems as if it is unsurmountable, all you need to do is talk to your neighbor. All you need to do is look at the books on your bookcase. Like the answer to your problem has been not only solved, but has been lived out and attempted to be solved in so many ways that it's it's staring at you it's it's right next to you the answer is right next to you if you're willing to look for it or do a little bit of investigative work and i think that that comes from seeing yourself in other people whether it's somebody at the mall or it is you know gore vidal or some <laughs> best selling author you know the answer's right there and if especially if we look at the theory of a, a, another theory of information that says you can't really come up with a new idea, but you can rearrange the parts of all old ideas and thus come up with a new product just by rearranging the ideas or your structure of language. For instance, uh, the dog bit Johnny or Johnny bit the dog. You know, I just changed around the subject right there, but those two radical meanings, you know, especially if you're Johnny. And so <laughs> I, I, I think that if people can begin to see the way they use their language, they can begin to see their environments, they can begin to learn from their past experience, change their perspective, and that will lead to you changing your actions and it'll lead to better choices and a better reality. I'm gonna move on to this next Absolutely. slide here because I think that there's a lot more we can we can get here. These ones are I, I wish that I blew them up a little bigger. Yeah. Well, I think we have talked a little bit about yeah. this one. We've covered that one, yeah. It's such it's I just want to go over it one more time right here because I I have come to a conclusion. For me, the ocean has always been this place that is it is some like a like a place of refuge. You know, it can be chaotic and it can be sometimes the fear of death is put in you when you're out there. It's a wonderful but, wonderful metaphor for that. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Why don't you tell us again a, a little bit about this slide? I, this is kind of just taking that funnel perspective and putting it into something that might be a little bit more relatable. You know, it, it's, it's, it's because everybody's, or at least a, a good chunk of people have sat down and watched the waves rolling off the ocean. And you can see how when the wave crash, it pushes into the next wave and the next wave and the next wave. And you can see how it's all interconnected. You can see 
you can see that actually play out right in front of your eyes. And so, you know, having that, this kind of visceral <clears throat> connection to things, I find is a better way to explain, you know, metaphors, and especially when you're trying to get, you know, a really comprehensive topic, like, you know, information down into something that's digestible. And so this is taking that funnel and putting it into kind of that picture format where it's, you know, just the unfolding of reality is those concurrent waves that are always impacting the next wave and the next wave and the next wave. What I really like about this one, too, is it gives it, it gives you an idea of the cyclical nature of reality and how we're all part of something bigger, even though we feel as if we're individuals. I think it was Alan Watts who says that every human is like a wave on the ocean, growing, cresting, and then breaking, you know, and it's, but you're still part, you're still made up of the same body that makes up all of us. And if you can put yourself in that perspective, it becomes a lot easier to relate, not only to your own problems, but to relate to the problems of other people. And in doing so, it allows you to see yourself as other people. You know, when you know that you're part of the same body, when you know that you may not have the exact same problems, but you're going through the same areas, be it your 40s or your 20s or a breakup or a childbirth, like you're going through areas that people have gone before. It just makes it so, so less daunting and kind of allows you to understand that you can seek out help or you can you're going to get through it one way or the other either you're going to crush through it or you're going to break through it but mm -hmm. it's I, I really and, that, and this is one of the first times i've seen it put this way so that, that's that's one way that it really made me excited about it and you but, know yeah. there's a few more things like if you really start to delve on these things and if you start to look at well why do waves form right and then you know it's the it's it's a reflection of the of the overall system. It's the pressure in the air. It's the density of the water. It's the density of the air. It's the it's the movement of the winds. It's the warming and the cooling of different spots in the ocean. And so you can start to then take that metaphor and expand it out, and you can see where the correlations are between how our environments do affect our choices and thereby our reality and you know all of the different nuances of what goes into that that particular moment and you know when we can start to again take ourselves out of this eye and look at the world in these different types of metaphorical symbology like we've talked about a lot right um and that's where you know i think we can actually help with understanding a lot more because you know, a lot of people have heard the words, but once you can put yourself in the situation, you get a you get a visceral change. You can feel it. You can feel the perspective shift because all of a sudden, when you look at something, you're looking at it through a shifted eye uh, eyesight. You know, even that internal vision, and all of a sudden, it makes more sense. You go, oh, well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense if I think about it that way, when I'm not worried about me and what's going to happen for me and all the eyes along the way. Now you can look at it as that big interconnected thing. You know, I think this goes a lot to kind of uh, illustrate that, you know, there is no us and them, right? That's never been the case. It's just a whole sea of us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've... It's profound to me too to think, depending on who you ask, it's either all waves or all particles. But 
you know, when I, another one, yeah. <laughs> or maybe it just depends who we're lying to, you know, I'm not sure. But, you know, it brings me back to the idea of a psychedelic trip. Like, at least for psilocybin, like it comes in waves. Like you ride this crest up and you're like, wow. And then it kind of backs off and then it, you ride it back up and then it backs off again. And it just, just the whole nature of reality seems that it seems we can learn so much from the wave form if we're willing to just step back and look at it like that. Like how many times in your life have you just, man, things are getting better and better and better. And then you crash like, Oh man, I can't believe I thought that, you know, or, you know, for you, you start a business and things are going well, going well. And then, Oh, you get to this point where like, should I really do that? Maybe not, you know? And it, it, I think if you can see your life like that, it allows, yeah, it really is. It really is. It it comes in waves. Right. And those waves, when, you know, when you think about it, you know, that's what we're talking about when we talk about the cyclical and helical nature yeah. of things, yeah. too. That's a waveform. That's the ebb and the flow. That's the crest and the trough, right? Um, and, you know, we don't have to look too far to find a, a great deal of evidence that really supports this. You know, our, we, I mentioned it earlier, we have a 24-hour circadian rhythm in our body. Everybody knows what it's like to get tired, Right. But we have 90-minute ultradian rhythms in our body that do a lot of other things during the day that really, and and you'll notice, you can work hard for 90 minutes and then you'll feel it. It'll start to slag on a little bit. Or, you know, you can get a good solid workout in for an hour, hour and a half, but you start start to push it to an hour and 45, too, you get really tired really fast. It's because there's these waves, there's these ultradian cycles in our in our body. And, you know, external to us, we, it, it, there's just nature's replete with these right you know we see it in the seasons we see it we see it through the growing cycles we see it through fruiting cycles we see it through all all different you know all different levels of nature that we that we peer at and putting that all into a larger picture of how you operate in the larger grander scale of things i think allows somebody a lot of freedom especially when it comes to their choice because now you now you understand that there is an ebb and flow. There is these things, and now you can see those aspects in your life for what they are, and you can act accordingly. Yeah, it makes me think. Throughout my life, I've I've known a few people that have committed suicide or attempted to commit suicide, and I think that that stems from, you know, it's I, I once heard it say that it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And for those of us who may suffer from like manic depressive or some sort of some sort of quote unquote mental disorder or maybe just a glitch or maybe we get caught up in something, it doesn't have to necessarily be a disorder. But I think looking at life through this particular metaphor does a lot to clean out some of those blockages. Like if you know, hey, sometimes I'm going to be at the top, sometimes I'm going to be at the bottom. Sometimes I can conquer anything. Sometimes I'm going to get held underwater by a riptide, you know, and I I think if you can begin seeing yourself as part of the whole, whether it is the ocean, whether it is the infinite sea of possibilities, whether it's a waveform, I think it goes a long way to bring someone back in the fold from this area of isolation. And like, that's another part of the book, No Absolutes, that I thought that may not be discussed wholeheartedly in there, 
but I think it does a good job at at explaining because it it, it is like a holistic approach of 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 unifying and bringing together. Just the images alone do a really good job at that. And you know, it's, it's yeah. Was that something you had in mind when you wrote it, or yeah? Um, it could have been a two hundred page book, <laughs> uh, but I was like, uh, that's I I don't want to write a two hundred page book for one. Uh, for two, it was also, you know, I wanted to be a, to attempt to distill this information down to something that could be digestible in a day, but you're still thinking about it and talking about it and contemplating the different aspects of it a year later, because it could, because there is so much involved in that. And so the idea was to paint, paint that framework and then allow people to fill, to build around their, their own structure around it. And in doing so, you know, you explore these different concepts. You, you know, you'll, you'll end up exploring these axioms, you, you know, like as above, so below, even when you're not aware of it, right? So you don't have to be taught these things. You don't have to be taught the, the philosophical, philosophical foundations or the scientific foundations. It gives you the framework to take the essence of those, of, of all of that, and then build your own structure on it. And that, and so the intent there was to, you know, open up the conversation essentially. But if, if nothing else, provide a, a framework for somebody to at least look at life just a little bit differently. Yeah. Is that? I mean, have you used? It seems to me like the idea of giving giving an idea or presenting the framework for an idea, sort of a. a a loosely based set of rules to people and then allowing them to work, work with those tools usually provides the best structure, the best framework for people to, to do it. Cause then you have, you have, you have your sense of, Hey, I built this. You have your sense right. of, I use my imagination to come up with using this basic framework right here. Is that a strategy that you've used as an entrepreneur throughout your life? Absolutely. Um, especially like, you know, I work with people I don't work for, or no one works for me. Uh, that's just kind of a rule. <laughs> uh, and uh, for that exact purpose, um, at the end of the day, you know, you want, especially if like um, from a startup perspective, you really want people invested in the idea. Yeah, yeah, it might be a good idea, but still people have to invest their time, their effort, their imagination and creativity. And that's a lot to ask from people. And but if you create the proper framework where people are not just rewarded for that effort but they're also you know in they're also thrust in 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 uh what's the word I'm looking for built up you know to to that level then their quality of work uh the you know all of a sudden you'll be like you know the conversation will go from hey did that get done to hey i woke up at two o'clock in the morning with a wild idea and i we didn't do this but i came up with this what do you think Heck yeah, because that solves the solution and it gives us something else. That's the kind of conversations you'll start to get when you have people who are invested in, in a project, uh, in an idea, in, in a business. Um, and, and that's what you're trying to foster in any sort of startup environment. But I think, you know, that kind of applies to relationships in general. A lot of relationships are built on, you know, these, these mechanisms of trust. And if but those are so easily invalidated. Uh, but if it's a framework of, hey, here's this is who I am and this is how I operate. And 
and that's and that's what you get back is hey this is who i am and this is how i operate now we're building something together as well that is you know has a solid foundation as opposed to by the way these are the rules this is how you're going to play this game don't deviate others otherwise there's consequences that's not a great relationship for anybody you know and, and, and that can be at a personal level too you know a lot of people bring baggage into relationships and say hey this is the rule and you know if you look at it at a larger scale those things tend not to work out yeah why do you think like it seems to me that so much of the corporate structure is founded on the on the authoritarian foundation you know and it I'm trying to think of some some structures that may like you could think of the co-op or you could think of mm-hmm. I, you could think of some other structures that that don't operate on that platform but it seems like the ones that are the most profitable and I'm using That's- profitable from a strictly monetary point of view seem to be the the if if the best idea wins and the idea of the top-down structure makes the most money does does that mean it's the best idea to make money no uh <laughs> it just means that we valued money in such a way that it oh, will yeah. outpace ideas so uh the reason that you have a lot of authoritarian structure in the corporate world is is mostly because of the ability to to make choices pivot in and take action um, when you have a bureaucracy, even if it's just a few people who all have equal say in something, it's still a bureaucracy. You know, one, one guy at the top can say, no, this is what we're doing. And as long as that guy's fairly confident, understands the market that they're, invest- they're involved in, understands the metrics, that the data that they have for their business, their app or whatever, they can make decisions that will be profitable in terms of shareholding uh, return. Uh, that does not mean the best idea is, is at the top at all. It just means it was the most effective idea that that person was aware of or that they gave their time to be aware of and then executed upon. Uh, and when you compare that in the marketplace of being able to compete, uh, you're, we're, but it's, it's changing now. We are seeing that change now. You have individual creators. You have all these people. You have podcasters outpacing CNN. We have all this stuff now. So it is changing now. But historically, it, it had been where because there wasn't a large communication, because there wasn't the ability for us to say, hey, that product sucked, didn't it? And yeah, it did. Um, now with the advent of that, now those uh, just being efficient isn't no longer the only standard you have to have the the better ideas and so i think that's why we're seeing just in general in industry a lot of you know kind of diffusion from those central power structures and people looking for other opportunities yeah that's a i'm glad you said that that's a great way to look at it it's it's very easy to get caught up in this world of oh poor little me you know there's these giant structures and they they just only grow by consolidating and what chance do i have if i'm just this little person but that's while it's easy to get caught up in that particular mindset i think it's more engaging and more rewarding and probably closer to the truth to think about there's never been more opportunity than there is right now regardless if this if the waveform is crashing or if it's just cresting the fact that you are where you are right now means you're positioned perfectly to be at the top 
of the next round. And if, like you said, there's so many creators out there, like, look at us just going from, you know, just a short month ago to having a somewhat successful series that we got going on here to people buying your book and learning from your book and being able to put out a message that helps people and, and can make their lives a little bit better. I, I am hopeful for the future. And, and when you look at that, if you just stand back on one level, if you read the news, you would say, oh, well, you know, there's these giant national countries are beginning to fail and the supply chain is breaking down because of greed and corruption and selfishness, which that could be true as far as greed and selfishness. But another way to look at that might be like, wow, here we are as an individual competing with multi-million dollar corporations. And the, maybe that's why the supply chain is breaking down because there's no longer enough. There's too much weight. It's too top heavy. When you have all these people at the bottom that can compete up here, like a podcaster putting up the same numbers as CNN or something like that, you no longer need this behemoth, all this supply chain and all this just weight over here when you can be so much more nimble. Right. And I, you know, and I, think we're seeing that just kind of across the board you know the the terry lieber projects have been yeah. on that kind of path and then you know there's other people who are talking sustainable communities too and other people who are buying up hundreds of acres of land to get yeah. their family together we're seeing um uh you know the people who are looking around and care about people care about the world care about the next generations being able to actually have something to live on you know those people are looking around saying hey 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 you guys you know understand maybe what you were trying to do but it's not working anymore uh and i i I find it fascinating it's a wonderful time for opportunity and you know to to back to the wave analogy you said even if you know you feel like it's in the trough but if you stand back and you look at the rest of the ocean you'll see that there's always a constant undulation of, of waves and troughs and so you know it's just it's just putting your board on in the right direction and catching the right wave yeah. It makes me think what you said to, uh, in, in our previous conversations, you had mentioned multiple times that, you know, it's not worth, maybe you didn't say it's not worth, but you said something that when I had mentioned many times, these crazy ideas of like, we got to fight the power, man. <laughs> and every time you've been able to redirect my thought into the idea of, look, Georgie, you, you, you become what you fight. So there's no purpose in fighting these people unless you want to become those people. And if you look at the revolutions of the past, it's just this circular structure of, okay, these are the good people. Then they get into power. Then they become the corrupt people. And then the new people come up. And it, it is that cycle. And so what it seems to me like what the Terra Libre Project and what some other like-minded people are doing is they're just no longer acquiescing to the people in positions of authority. Instead of fighting them, we're just saying like, yeah, that's not a good idea. We're not going to do that. And that seems like it just takes away all the rage. It takes away all the power. It takes away mm-hmm. all the authority from people when people are like, yeah, we're not doing that. Yeah, Sorry. You, you can bang your fist all day long. You can stand up on podiums and yell to your heart's content. But at the end of the day, if I say yeah, me and mine, yeah, we don't care. We're just going to go off and do our own thing. Have a good one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by and large, I think we're in a state of the world where that's that can be pulled off i think this is a very new state of the world right because if we were to try to go off and do this say 100 years ago you'd probably end up with a militia at your front at your property or something along those lines uh 
you know, because there's all sorts of nasty words that are used to describe such things if you look at them in certain contexts. But at the end of the day, you know, people are, are awakening to the idea that they don't want to live in such an environment. I mean, what are their options? Well, you know, violence seems to be the first option, it, it, you know, even if that's just verbal violence or getting angry about it, because that's always human's first option. Um, <laughs> but, at, you know, there, there are other solutions. And typically, the one that seems to me to work out the best is just radical non-compliance. Like you guys can go ahead and do what you do. I'm, I'm not. I'm not even going to care. I'm not even going to speak bad about what you do. But I'm just going to go off and do what I'm going to do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. It, it is. It's such a better way to spend your energy, and your time, and and your life, well, and rather you, than trying. And then, and then you open up. Now you have time for creativity again. Now you have time for an imagination again. Now you have time to rededicate to your family, to your friends, to your relationships. Because why? You're not constantly stressed and worrying and clicking on the next post and doom scrolling for three hours before you have a crappy five hours sleep and go repeat the damn process tomorrow. You get a lot of time back when you remove yourself from these things, when you when you detach from those those mechanisms, those narratives. And you know, that's the real power underlying that is once you get to that point you realize you get all of your time back you you and you know what's the thing you can't buy more time it's the one thing we haven't really figured out how to buy not to say it's not feasible but (laughs) we're not there yet yeah it's when you put it like that it seems like that is the one thing everybody is trying to get from other people it's is time. Hey, you come work for me, or let me mm-hmm. buy, let me give you this. I'll trade you this handful of dimes for your entire day. And mm-hmm. hey, put your kids over there. It costs more money, but that's a good place for them to be while you're at work trying to make more money. And then we'll yeah. send your parents to this home over here. Yeah, and then somebody's compromised and they they took five less cents. So now I'm going to go use that guy. So what are you going to do? Well, I guess I'll take five less cents. Yeah. Or or you know other options, but and then all of a sudden you you're just you know. You have no time now. And then, you know, it's it's sad to see people who wake up at 60, 70 years old and say, what the hell do I do with my life? Yeah. You know, you know, I worked for GM for 45 years. Okay. Nice <laughs> watch. Yeah, exactly. Nice <laughs> watch. And, 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 you know, there's, I've met quite a few of those people. And, you know, I, I've even met a few of them who realized that. And then they were like, well, hell, I'm going to go have some adventures now. And, you know, I've met the people who are 76 years old and they're like, oh, yeah, I retired at 60 and I realized my life sucks. So here I am. I'm backpacking through the Amazon. Yeah. Awesome. You know, but unfortunately, you know, I, I don't think if I don't think if you were to ask any single one of them, would you like to do it earlier? I think you're going to get a resounding yes. And so it's unfortunate that, you know, it happens so late, but. Yeah, you know, we, that is a story that is uh, probably more and more common as the days go by. Yeah, it's it's an amazing thing to to wake up one day and wonder where the hell you've been, what the hell you've been doing, mm-hmm. and it's easy it's easy to go through life and live somebody else's 
live by somebody else's rules. It's easy to go through life and live someone else's dream. And it's easy to go through life wishing that you had more. But if in life, if you do what is easy, your life will be hard. And, you know, so it, it takes courage. It takes a leap of faith to just stretch out on your own. And, and it's hard. And I, I can understand why people don't want to do it. But I, I believe wholeheartedly that my life and the life of those I love will be better if I'm willing to believe in myself and take a chance. And, you know, I, I get it. Like you need money. You, you need to pay the bills. You need to buy food. And if you have a family, you need to provide for them. But, you know, the, the question I always end up asking myself is that is, you know, where, do I love the person I am? Do I, does my wife and my kid going to grow up and be better people because the decisions I made, or am I just wasting my time or am I making the most of it? And, you know, I, sometimes I wake up after four or five hours, like a pounding headache, like what the fuck am I doing? What am I doing? This is not making any sense. But those times are rare compared to once I get in my day, once I start talking to interesting people or, once I go out for a walk or once I get my bearing straight, I realize that I'm making a difference. I'm making an impact and I'm better because of it. And my wife and my kids see it and they're proud and I'm proud. And all of a sudden I get to talk to you and I see these, I see the book you wrote and I start hearing about, Hey George, I drew this in a waveform or Hey George, here's the different person, there's different possibilities that create choice. And it seems like the more I pour myself into the day, the more I pour myself into the ideas and the thoughts that are beautiful, the more that kind of radiates back to me. And the more that I get to be part of this life that I've always wanted rather than, and the next thing I know, I'm no longer living someone's life. I'm living my life. So no longer the passenger. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it, all it takes is jumping in the driver's seat. Like the car's on mm -hmm. autopilot right now. <laughs> yeah. And you know, to, to be fair, uh, a lot of people are thrust into all of these structures, you know, grow up in religions yeah. or grow up in certain locations in the world. And yeah, it's not an easy thing. It really isn't. And it's harder for other people than some, um, you know, sometimes, you know, even people who grow up in really great places with a great family, sometimes it's the hardest. Yeah. Because, you know, there is, you know, if it's so great here, then why would you go look anywhere else? <laughs> you know, but at the same time, that while you are a part of that greatness, you didn't build it. You were just, you know, you just got lucky on your location. And you won't find happiness and joy until you go out and you, you, you live your own hero's journey. Until you you go out and you test your own waters and figure out who you are. Do you think that that is the one thing that kind of pushes people out onto their own? Is 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 like tragedy, or it is like this this big right hand that nobody saw coming that lays you out? Is that is that the thing that forces you, or at least smacks you around enough to go and start doing your own thing? I think it's a hell of a catalyst for a lot of people. I think there's probably uh, there's probably other pathways to it but i would say by and large most of the time it's due to a trauma some sort of trauma some sort of tragedy in your life uh simply because you know those are the things that do they smack you in the face out of nowhere and you're blindsided and you have to take a, a second you know what's going on 
and, and you're actually seeing with clear eyes for a moment, you know, and you look around and you go, oh, geez, well, this isn't anything I want to do. This is, I don't want to repeat this process. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want, I don't like these feelings. I, you know, how does, you know, why does this happen? You start to ask those bigger questions and that's, I, that definitely kicks many people down the path, I would say. But I'm sure you can get there from other places. Just so happens most of the people I've met haven't haven't come from other places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of a, a, I think it was in an Alan Watts story or something where he talks about this couple that's lost in the ghetto somewhere in England or something. And they wrote on the window and they're like, hey, bu buddy, excuse me. And the guy comes over and they say, hey, do you know how to get to this spot over here? And the guy's like, yeah, I know how to get there. But if I were you, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> it's so crazy to think of i always think about that in my life like yeah i probably shouldn't start from here but uh we're i gotta start somewhere i guess well you know that that goes back to what we we're talking about giving everybody psychedelics right yeah yeah you get there but i wouldn't start from there bud yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's so funny to me because when i look at it from that angle like i wouldn't <laughs> This process, this journey I'm on, I definitely wouldn't, if I could choose, I wouldn't have started where I started. That's a horrible yeah. starting point, but it, it it really taught me a lot of stuff. So maybe it wasn't that horrible looking back on it. Well, you know, the other side of that coin is, or that equation is that you're here. Yeah. And and who's to say that you would be if you, if you, if you went a different direction? Yeah. You yeah, know, it's... That, that's, that's, that's the thing where everybody, you know, well, do you have any regrets? You, you know, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. no regrets definitely no regrets <laughs> I, you know i i would have changed some things maybe if i could go back and say that it wouldn't affect the outcome but no regrets because here i am today you know i've i've got to do many of the things that i wanted that i set out to do and then i've had to refine goals in my life multiple times because i never thought i would reach those lifelong goals and then i was there and i was like well shit now what am i gonna do <laughs> uh and you know so and there was many misadventures along the way. And I, I can honestly say I was never, I wasn't a great person back in the day, you know? Um, and so there are definitely things where it's like, yeah, I would have preferred not to hurt those people or, you know, that person, or would have preferred not to get involved in that business relationship or things like that. But still, if I hadn't, I, I wouldn't have the perspective that I have today. Yeah. When I, when I look back on those times, on some of the moments I'm not proud of, I I, I start laughing because I realize like I had I had to be that person in order to right. be the person I am today. Right, and I had to be like, a piece of shit for a little while. Yeah, yeah, you had to. <laughs> you kind of had to, you know. And and in one way, it's it's I. You could say, oh, well, I'm just taking the heat off myself. But the more that I look at it, I'm like, no, no, no I had to do that. Otherwise, I would have never learned. And, and you and, and then if you if you get really serious about it, you can think about it and say, if I didn't have that experience, when I encountered this choice later on in my life, I know I would have gone a different direction. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and if you're serious and honest with yourself, you'll find those pretty damn often in my experience. Yeah. I think it lends credence to, to young people going out and just taking the bull by the horns and, and trying. Like I, I mean, all of us know, you know, it's like an old trope. A guy turns 50 and gets a Corvette, you know, mm -hmm. or goes through this midlife crisis because the, they hadn't done the things they wish they would have done when they were 20 or they were 
they were sacro. They told themselves they were sacrificing now, so they didn't have to. But you know, it, it, it's and I'm sure that happens to all of us on some level. But I think the trick is to chase your dreams, no matter how silly or crazy they are. At least on some level, you know, have that dream bucket and 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 push through it. And if it seems crazy, that's probably something that you really want to do. And if it's if it's crazy, then Maybe crazy is just another word for passionate. And if you're chasing your craziness, you're chasing your passion. Right. And I think, you know, you're even if you don't end up succeeding at that crazy passion, uh, you will find a different passion along the way. And you will grow and you will know more about yourself than you ever would if you just decided to defer that till later. Yeah. That's amazing. Benjamin C. George, I love talking to you, my friend. And, uh, it's it's a good time. I I I like I really enjoyed the book. Um and like I said, I, I keep seeing new things in there. Maybe that's because I'm talking to you so much, and as I get to know you as a person, I get to see more in the book. You know, and I, I hope that the audience who's following along with us, who's seen some of our interviews, takes a few moments to to do that. And I hope that they get to learn a little bit and I hope they enjoy talking with us. And if you're listening to this right now. We are live, so you can always chime in or you can reach out to me or Benjamin George at, at his website. Benjamin, where can people find you? What do you got coming up and what are you excited about? Uh, BenjaminCGeorge.com for all the projects and all the machinations and misadventures. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, definitely starting with a new podcast here. Finally got the mic set up, have the new camera thing, almost have it tuned in. So I'll probably be playing around with the at least the first couple of like monologues or something like that here in the next week uh and then hope to launch the actual full podcast uh interview you george later on nice. this month yeah. oh man i'm excited i get to turn the tables <laughs> i'll be in the hot seat over here <laughs> yeah i'm excited for that i i think that you bring a lot of talent and i you have a lot of amazing ideas and i'm 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 super stoked to to get to be on your podcast and and continue to learn and continue to develop the relationship and hopefully continue to help other people see the world for the beauty that it can be. Indeed. So <laughs> that's what we got, ladies and gentlemen. Um, stay tuned for the True Life podcast later this week. We got some interesting guests coming up. We got uh, Dr. Rick Strassman coming up on the 20th, and we have got some I'm going to be doing some forays into some people who are using ketamine as a psychedelic medicine to help others get over traumatic injuries. So that's going to be interesting. I need to, I need to read up on that a little bit more. So that's interesting therapy. Yeah. Yeah. What do you it know seems... about that? Have you, have you heard about the ketamine as a therapy? Yeah. Um, there, I've heard it from a couple of people. One of them uh, was a, a buddy. He said he went in there, and, you know, it was just a little doctor's room and they gave him a whole bunch of ketamine. He was tripping balls in the doctor's <laughs> office. And he's, you know, he was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I've, I've actually heard some very promising results. And like I read a couple of preprint papers about it. Uh, and there's definitely statistics over the statistical averages of people who have felt genuinely um, helped by the whole process. So I think there's, I, I, I think ketamine's an interesting one. I think psilocybin will be, you know, kind of a, a creme de la creme when it comes to that. 
Uh, and I just read a paper this morning, actually, uh, about um, people's ability to reflect uh, on trauma. And it was a, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, I'm pretty, close, I'm pretty sure it was close to about a 400% increase in someone's ability to reflect on past traumas as opposed to like a standard um, uh, uh, antidepressant. Wow. And, and that was like, and then the psilocybin was eight times over the baseline. So, I mean, from, you know, it, it crushed the pharmaceutical option uh, and, you know, what had a massive impact to the point where people were very, you know, people said, I've never felt this way before was, you know, listed uh, uh, and on the response sheet for uh, like 30% of the participants. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think there's, you know, wonderful. And, you know, back to what we were talking about before when it comes to, you know, giving it to all the people. Well, that's the really the mechanism. If you could foster that environment where there was, you know, somebody who knew what was going on, somebody, it was a safe environment and you could get people into those types of things. I think that would help a lot of people find the path. They're all yeah. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I've, I've never done ketamine. So I don't thoroughly know what that experience is like. And I, I'm, I, have you done it before? What I'm familiar with like, uh, like I've done LSD, I've done uh, some derivatives of, you know, like for ACO DMT. I've done the different analogs. I've done psilocybin, but I've never done ketamine. So I'm not sure if is it if it is it is it a psychedelic? Is it something like the white room or you know what what it's, goes on? There? It's a dissociative. Okay. Um, so you're able, to, and I think that's why they're using it as a therapeutic therapeutic tool. Um, cause mm. you're really able to really just kind of detach yourself from the trauma and just kind of look at it from the outside mm. looking in. And I think that's probably what the mechanism that helps many people. Um, yeah. When I was down in central and South America, that first little stint of my trip, I was just being a digital nomad. And then on my fun time, I was just finding random plants and jungles and then, you know, all sorts of different psychedelics from different people. So I, 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 I checked off a lot of the boxes along that path along that journey <laughs> yeah what would you consider psilocybin to be if 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 is ketamine it's a twofold question the first part is ketamine a psychedelic and if it is a psychedelic would you consider the other psychedelics to be disassociatives um it has psychedelic qualities uh, I wouldn't call it like a really psychedelic. It's it's definitely where you just kind of you're, you know, some people use it as a party drug. I've never utilized it in such a manner. Uh, but most of those people I see just kind of sitting down with trees at some point, <laughs> or just drooling, just drooling. You know, so uh, I think you know psilocybin is, is is a different. I think they're all different animals, but I think uh, in terms of uh, just human propensity for health i would i would say psilocybin probably has the largest um and i think it has to do with its just how close it is of, you know genetically related to humans you know when you're starting to talk other psychedelics you know like ergot you know that's mm. you're refining that ergot and taking out a lot of the other constituent parts 
you know, when you have DMT, you're extracting DMT. When you have a, a lot of these other things, you know, you're, you, it's usually an extraction process. Psilocybin is one of those things that's just on every continent on the planet and seems to work well with the human body. You know, there's zero toxicity. Um, I don't think there's an LD50 on it even because I don't think anybody's ever eaten enough mushrooms to kill yeah, themselves. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so in terms of, you know, of medicine, I see, I see psilocybin and mushrooms as probably uh, one of the better paths of, you know, to, to medical health, uh, you know, in, in that, in terms of the plant. Yeah, because ketamine, it's a, it's a tranquilizer and it's definitely made, in, it's a synthetic tranquilizer. Is that, is that accurate? Right. I can't recall what it's derived from. It was, it's derived from some substance that was mm. found in nature, similar to, you know, like aspirin and bark and things mm. like that. Um, I can't recall what it is off the top of my head, but yeah, we basically synthesize it at this point. My wife, my wife told me I, I had to uh, make a retraction because, you know, I think in our Sunday conversation, I had alluded to John Lilly taking copious amounts of ketamine and she's mm. like, Way to go, dummy. You think someone's going to take a lot of tranquilizers and swim with dolphins? They'd probably drown. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. Well, <laughs> I probably should rethink that. Maybe. I, you know, <laughs> I've seen, you know, there's different things react differently with people. And yeah. there is something to be said about the process in which you engage these yeah. things, too. Yeah. Um, you know, like, you know, just like what the psilocybin journey I'd shared. Yeah. I typically, by all accounts, you would be drooling on a bed, on a bed except <laughs> I was running around the mountains and singing and having a great old time. Right. So I think there's a lot to be said about set and setting in any sort of environment where you're, you're influencing neural activity. Yeah, I would agree. I think that and that's not even from a psychedelic perspective, right? Like, you know, just every day, too. Well, this gets us back to your book with the funnel graphic, you know, and environment and action and thoughts like, you know, that's a, those are all giant. Um, what do you, what, what, what is that called? What are the, what are the pieces of an equation called? They're called. Um, variables. Yes. Those are very important variables that fundamentally change the outcome of any equation. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, awesome my friend it's always a pleasure and um yeah so we covered it all we covered a lot today man and i i, I will touch base with you here coming up and we'll see you on sunday let me know if you have any good
Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years. Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge. And I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now. And it's been so rewarding to me that I would just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.